Welcome to Opus Private Clients Wealth Style Podcast. All of the material discussed on our podcasts have specific themes, and that's to move your wealth and lifestyle forward, increase your purpose, and provide you with clarity and confidence. Opus's mantra is always forward. We have found that regardless of one's wealth, moving your lifestyle forward is the number one priority for our clients. On our podcast, we'll share our rich 35 years of experience in designing strategies, share clients' experiences, and introduce resources that have positively impacted our clients. We trust that you will enjoy our direct, transparent, and realistic approach to positively impacting the quality of you and your family's lives. Now, on to the show. Hello, and welcome to the Opus Private Client Wellstyle Podcast. My name is Yvonne Watanabe. I'll be your host today. I hope everybody's doing well. On today is one of our associates, uh, one of my associates and colleagues, Stefan Carpentieri. What's going on, Steph? Hey, Yvonne. How are you? I'm good, man. I'm good. Uh, so I'm excited to have you on today. I know as our resident health insurance expert for the practice, um, we're constantly having conversations with folks about open enrollment, how to pick their health insurance benefits. So what we thought we would do today is just have you on discuss a little bit about um, how to best select the employee the health insurance benefits during open enrollment and some of the key mistakes that people are making and things to watch out for. So uh, again, I'm excited to have you on. But before we start, why don't you just kind of share a little bit about yourself with the audience? How'd you get to Opus? Uh, A little bit about you. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, So let's see, my first job out of school was in the payroll industry. It was a direct sales role in New York City with ADP, who is a payroll processor, uh, one of the largest in the world. And at the time, my job was to sell the payroll, payroll software for small business, going around the city, you know, meeting employers such as that nature. And I got into the benefits because ADP has another division which involves employee benefits. So that was really my first exposure to that industry. And I learned early on that I had more of a passion for people than software. And I wanted to make a deeper connection with my clients, which ultimately led me to becoming a broker and managing a book of business for a full year, you know, learning more about my clients, watching them grow, progress, and helping them. So that really is kind of what got me into the employee benefit industry. Awesome. And Opus now, I mean, just share a little bit about how many clients we have, you know, what's the demographic look like? Sure. You know, and just piggybacking on what I said previously, health insurance is a super personal topic for people and it's an important topic. And at the end of the day, people are making job decisions solely based on their potential benefit offerings and how much their employer is willing to contribute to these benefits. So to be part of that process is very special and comes with a lot of responsibility, which I don't take lightly. And it's our job at Opus to educate our clients and make sure they have all that information they need to make the best possible decision on what benefit plan to pick for them and their family for that year. I made the leap to Opus in 2016 and was lucky enough to learn from several people with decades of experience. Um, you know, fast forward to 2021, currently Opus has over 75 clients in my division, ranging from two lives all the way up to 250 in over 15 states. So health insurance is extremely complex. Every state has different rules, different designations, what they consider a small and large group. So it really does make, uh, you know, keep your head on a swivel and it's very exciting. Love it. Love it. Well, you know, like I said before, we've got clients coming to us uh, on the individual side, employees, and they're they're getting their employee benefit packages. They're trying to figure out, you know, do I go on my spouse's plan? Do I go on my plan? Which one do I pick? 
And, you know, a lot of people go just directly to the premium amounts, pick the lowest premium, and that's the one that they go with uh, without particularly having a good game plan going into the assessment. So, you know, besides premium, what are the things that people should be looking at when they get this huge benefit package to help them figure out which plan to go with? That's a great question and one of the most common scenarios that we deal with. I think, first of all, the most important thing and the best thing that you can do is to be open to new ideas, but also understand core definitions and principles of how a health insurance plan operates. It sounds crazy, but a majority of people I speak with, whether they're you know a CEO or a first-year employee, don't know basic healthcare definitions. So without a strong foundation, it's going to be impossible to interpret an employee benefit guide or a summary that you receive. So I think that is really important. So whenever I'm speaking with someone for the first time, regardless of their status of the company, I always ask if they have time to me to walk through a sample benefit summary where I can kind of get an idea of how little or how much knowledge they have, and then I can tailor the conversation from there. So to your point, a lot of people, they open enrollment, it's, you know, they're not super excited about health insurance, they immediately go to the price. And that can be a real detriment because obviously that's important. People want to know how much a benefit's going to cost, and they should, but that's really only one piece of the puzzle. So what I try to do when I have these scenarios when I'm speaking with someone is I always try and use real life scenarios to how it relates to people. So. For example of that, if someone's in between plan A and plan B, I would say something along the lines of, you know, if you were enrolled in plan A and had to go to your primary doctor, this would be your cost. And then let's take the same exact scenario and show you what it would look like in plan B. So if you use real relatable situations that they've been in, I find it's kind of easier for them to understand and grasp. And you know, going back to kind of what you met, what I mentioned previously, it's impossible to understand something if you don't know simple definition. I mean, it can be as easy as what is a deductible? You know, if I ask majority of people, they're probably going to know the basic definition of it, but how it applies to a healthcare plan, that's something a little more complex. So the, the definition of a healthcare deductible is the amount you pay for a covered healthcare service before your insurance plan starts to kick in. So if you have a $2,000 single deductible, you would need to pay the first $2,000 of covered services yourself, then once you meet that amount, then the plan usually kicks in with either a coinsurance or copay. And again, coinsurance, copay, what do they mean? A copay is kind of a fixed dollar amount that you pay for healthcare services. So for example, I go to my primary doctor, I have a $20 copay. I have an x-ray, it's a $40 copay. And then coinsurance is actually a percentage of the cost of covered healthcare services. So for example, once I hit that $2,000 deductible, now if I have another bill, I have a coinsurance with Oxford where they pay 80%, I pay 20. So the deductible is important because it applies, no matter what type of plan you have, it, it applies to it. It's just a matter of how your plan works with your deductible. But you need to have those common definitions before you can really understand anything. Got it. So the deductible is my obligation that I need to hit first and foremost before anything else. And then the coinsurance is like a cost share, right? A percentage that I'm responsible for, a percentage that the insurance company is responsible for that after the deductible has been met. Is that is that about right? 
Yeah, and it gets a little more complex depending on what kind of plan you have. But you know, keep in mind, if a traditional copay design plan where you have a deductible and copays, your deductible is usually only going to apply to major medical services only. And what I mean yep. by that is, you know, in and out patient care, high end imaging, possibly x rays, stuff of that nature. So when the ACA became effective in 2010, one of the things that it did was make sure all preventative visits are covered at 100%. So no matter what plan you take, as long as an ACA, accredited plan, you get one annual physical per year. And if you're a female, you get two OBGYN visits all covered at 100%. So you don't even have to meet your deductible for those things. Additionally, depending on the plan, you could have a separate pharmacy deductible before copays kick in. So it really depends on what type of plan you have. But you kind of hit the nail on the head with just the basic definition. And once you understand that, then you can build from that. Got it. You and I, when we do an assessment, oftentimes behind the scenes, one of our conversations is, is okay, I get, I get the deductible, I get the coinsurance. What does worst case scenario look like? You know, people want to know, like, what's the maximum that I'm going to have to pay if I have some type of major surgery that I wasn't expecting? What's that top like level of defense and what am I going to expect? So can you talk to a little bit about that? Because I think, you know, people, again, when they're making their assessment, it's premium, some of my benefits, but like, again, what's worst case scenario look like? So how can they identify with that? And that's kind of going back to understanding definitions and what you're describing is, you know, your max out of pocket, essentially your stop loss number. This is a super important term to understand because this is the most an individual or family can pay out of pocket in a given plan year before services are covered 100%. So at the end of the day, you know, you don't know what your future holds. God forbid, if you do have a major, you know, illness or accident, you want to make sure you know what is the worst case scenario. And that is, your max out of pocket. So when you're when you're hitting your deductible, you're you're paying your deductible, you're paying all these copays, where does it go? It all goes towards your max out of pocket. And once you hit that number in a given plan year, let's just say you have a major surgery, your plan renews calendar year 1-1, you have a major surgery and you've actually hit your max deductible, I'm sorry, your max out of pocket, you've hit it in March, you're all cleared. Moving forward from March till the end of December, as long as you stay in network, you're covered 100%. So you've satisfied your max out of pocket, you're done, and now you get to have whatever care needed for the remainder of the year covered 100%, as long as it's considered in network. Yep. I think that's a really big designation, right? Because, you know, we're having conversations with clients and, and when we're reviewing some of this, we're having, you know, very personal in-depth conversations and saying, hey, are you family, are, are you trying to family plan, right? Is there a chance that maybe perhaps this year that, you know, you'd want to get pregnant and, and, and perhaps, you know, maybe there's a childbirth in this calendar year, that max out of pocket is a huge a huge thing to a huge number to to be aware of if you know you're expecting in that particular year right i mean is is do i have that right yeah, and absolutely. Going back to your previous point, like people immediately go to costs and even though, let's, say, let's keep it easy, you're comparing two plans. So even though plan A may cost you $100 less per pay period, the exposure, you know, your max out of pocket is significantly higher than, you know, plan B, which, you know, is more expensive premium wise, but your exposure is about four grand less. So in a scenario where, you know, you kind of just mentioned you hit, you incur a large medical spend, whether that be surgery from an accident, pregnancy, anything like that, you're better off to pay the higher premium and at the end of the day you're not going to need to you know pay all the other you're not going to have to pay the additional money because your exposure your max out of pocket is you know 5 grand instead of 8 so yeah. i think that's very important to understand and you know kind of again continuing with this theme 
it's important too, you know, we can't predict the future, but what we can do is look at our two, three year medical history, you know, kind of take a step back and say, okay, let's just look at what's happened in the last two or three years. You know, an example of that would be if someone has a medical condition where they recently got diagnosed maybe a year ago, where they know that they require monthly imaging done, we would want to make sure to pick a plan where you know high-end x-rays, lab work, and stuff like that is maybe a copay instead of subject to the deductible. So you're controlling costs by saying, for this plan, an MRI is gonna cost me $200, and I know I'm gonna go four or five times a year, so you can kind of have an idea of how much is that gonna cost, versus you have a plan with a larger deductible and you're on the hook for the first 5,000. So using yeah. the information you have and applying it to avail your, your plans is very important. Yeah. You know, you, you mentioned something earlier about in-network, in right? And one of the main tips that you gave me recently in discussing a client was, and in, in, in your own particular situation, was around childbirth and, and I've been sharing this with everybody I know, by the way, who is expecting, making sure that the anesthesia team, when you know, during labor is an in-network anesthesia team because a lot of people would make the assumption that because I'm having, you know, uh, a childbirth at a particular hospital and that hospital's in-network that I'm totally covered. But that nuance of having that anesthesia team be in-network was such a valuable nugget that you gave me. Can you talk a little bit more about that? That scenario that you just described, that also comes back to us on educating our clients to ask the right questions and be aware of that. You know, hospitals aren't out to get you, but they're not going to proactively make sure you're, you know, they have enough going on with the billing department and everything that they're not tailor a specific plan to you and make sure, okay, everything okay, you want to check and review things. Like, that's not going to happen. So it's our job to educate the clients and make sure they know when they're in those scenarios what questions to ask. And to your point, it's a common situation when we deal with, whether it's a surgery or a pregnancy or anything of that nature where the, the client maybe does their due diligence and makes sure is, okay, hospitals in network, doctor, doctors in network, I'm all set. And then fast forward, you know, they get everything done, the bill comes and they have this huge expense and they're confused, you know, they can't understand what the EOB is. And then I get, you know, sent the email and I'm like, oh boy, I know exactly what's happening. And unfortunately, the anesthesiologist isn't in network. And this, you know, happened to me. I um, was lucky enough, my wife gave birth to our daughter in February. She had to get in, induced. We went to the hospital, we checked in that night, and I just said, hey, I wanna make sure tomorrow when she gets the epidural, I'd like to just make sure that the person, you know, facilitating that is in network. And she was like, well, I'm not really sure. Uh, it all depends on who's on call. And I was like, okay, I understand that. But at the end of the day, my plan is an EPO, meaning it has in-network benefits only. I have no out-of-network coverage. I need to make sure that that anesthesiologist is in-network. And me just kind of reaffirming that and no, just showing her that I have some basic knowledge, she was like, okay, let me go back to my team and make sure. And an hour later, she came back and said, Dr. So-and-so, you're all good. He's considered in-network. Great. But if I didn't ask that question, I'm potentially exposing myself to a bigger issue down the road. Yeah, absolutely. Now, who, what, what language and who would you ask specifically to confirm that your doctors are in network? Like what's the, what, the language is always important, right? So what, what phrase specifically should they be asking and to whom should they be asking that question to confirm that? Yeah, what I like to do is kind of a two-step process. I like to first go online. All of these insurance companies have online doctor and directory searches where you can search, you can search your doctors by zip code, 
practice, facility, anything like that. So I always like to go on the website, make sure I'm searching my network and look at the facility and confirm they're in network. Once I do that, I like to take it a step further and I actually call the doctor's office, ask to speak with the billing department and give them my information if needed. If I'm enrolled in the plan currently, I'll give them my group number, my member ID and anything they need and say, I just wanna make sure you know I'm going to Dr. Smith and I wanna make sure that he takes the Oxford Freedom Network in network. You have to say in network, because if you say, do you take the Oxford Freedom Network, I've had a situation where some lady called up the billing department and asked that, didn't use the phrase in network, and they're like, oh, we'll take it, because they're just gonna bill you as out of network. <laughs> so it's important to really use your language carefully. But it's just about, you know, I think being proactive is super helpful um, when dealing with these kind of situations. Asking the questions up front, opposed to, you know, asking the questions up front obviously is going to be an easier situation than dealing with a bill that's already been logged in a hospital that's coded and then you have to get a reimbursement. That's going to be a little more of a challenge. It's doable and obviously we can assist with it and we do all the time, but it takes some time. It's not like a, it's not an immediate fix. Can you talk a little bit about some of the more common plans that we see and maybe some decision, you know, how, did the, how that would work. You know, I see often high deductible plan or a PPO. Can you just take a little bit of time to discuss, you know, the differences, what it, what it is and the differences between the two? Yeah, there's like probably four I would touch on. So there's the EPO, um, and these are all just types of health insurance plans. So an EPO means exclusive provider organization. That's going to mean you have in-network benefits only. If you go out of network, you have no coverage and you're just going to be paying it on your own. If you have a PPO, that means preferred provider organization, that means you have the ability to go in and out of network. Then you just kind of hinted to a very popular plan over the last four or five years. It's called an HDHP, a high deductible health plan. And what that is, it works a little differently than a traditional plan, but as the name implies, you have a much higher deductible, you have a lower premium, and everything goes against that deductible. So most of them don't have copays. So an example of a high deductible health plan would be uh, I'm a single employee. I have a $6,000 deductible with a $7,000 max out of pocket, meaning that I am going to come out of pocket for all my services up to the $6,000. Once I hit that, then I'll probably have some co-insurance for the remaining thousand. And then I will, if I do hit my stop loss, the max out of pocket, then I'm covered 100%. But what the high deductible health plan allows you to do is you save on premium because majority of the time it's actually going to be a lower premium, but you have the ability to contribute to an HSA, which is called a health savings account. And what that is, it gives you as the employee, the ability to put pre-tax dollars away. Um, and for 2021, an individual can put up to $3,600 and a family, anyone insuring more than one person, can put away up to 7,200. And it, actually, if you're over the age of 55, you can put an additional, it's called a catch-up contribution of $1,000. So what this does is it lowers your taxable income, so you're not paying taxes on those dollars. This money is yours. It's a separate bank account. It has no connection to the uh, employer. You can either open it separately or have it through your employer. But if you leave, that money stays with you. It's completely portable. It stays with you for life. Um, you know, you can invest with it. You know, another real world example here is I had an HSA plan. I think the last time I had an HSA plan was 2014 and I had it for three years and I maxed it out every time. So then I left that job and I had, you know, I brought the HSA account with me to Opus and I had 
those dollars in there. And I've been lucky enough to not really have to go to the doctor that much. You know, if I had to pick up a prescription or go to a primary care doctor, I would use those funds that I put away pre-tax. But the birth of my daughter just happened a few months ago. I was able to use the remaining balance and pay for her entire birth with money that I put over six years ago. So it really is a, a fantastic concept if you understand it. It's becoming more and more popular because it's just a way to control costs. Employers love it because they give the ability for the employee to either pay a much lower premium per month or none at all. You got to remember that when you have an employer-sponsored healthcare plan, the employer is contributing a certain portion depending on what size they are and you know the nature of the business. So a lot of times people are actually blown away by the true cost of healthcare um, because if you're an employee, you're getting that pre-tax and it's coming out of your paycheck pre-tax and then you get the health plan. Yeah, I think, um, so what I'm hearing, right, is that the, the high deductible plan may be a pretty good fit for young young people that maybe haven't had any health issues in the past, you know, they're able to have a low monthly premium, right? So it comes out of their paycheck at a very low amount. And maybe they're able to save some additional money into the HSA pre-tax, take that with them. And eventually someday they may need those funds for either medical care or at some point they can actually take that money out and spend it on retirement needs or whatever might be all pre-tax savings, right? So that may be a particularly good fit for those types of clients. Is that is that right? Yeah, absolutely. And it gets better and better. You know, it's just it's the concept is a little unique, but once people understand it and they start to, you know, utilize it or the employer implements it, it really becomes a great option. And a lot of people use this as, you know, healthcare, I'm sorry, employers are usually offering more than one plan. So they usually offer a high deductible health plan as a base plan being the cheaper option. And then they have, you know, either an EPO or a PPO plan where maybe it's a little more robust and traditional where the employer buys up. But, you know, an example to kind of how they differ. So if I'm enrolled, if I'm enrolled in a traditional copay plan, effective 8-1, and I want to see my primary doctor, my plan has a copay for primary care services, and let's say it's $40. I go to the doctor, I pay that for the visit, I move along. If I'm in a high deductible health plan, the same exact scenario happens. Because I don't have copays, I make sure, one, I'm going to an in-network provider because I know everything goes against my deductible. I go to the doctor, I pay for whatever the services I incurred. Instead of being a $40 copay, it's based on the services that I get done. So let's just say it ends up being $80. I then get the bill for 80, I pay it. If I did contribute to my HSA, I can use those pre-tax dollars. And then now I've satisfied $80 out of my, let's say $5,000 deductible of my high deductible health plan. And that's how it works until you hit the $5,000. Then once you do that, that's when either co-pays or, or the co-insurance, aka the cost share, kicks in. Got it. What other types of plans are you seeing most common come across your table? I see a lot of employers recently now kind of doing away with the PPO or at least not paying for it because what's happening over the probably the last three or four years are that hospitals are buying private practices and they're all becoming part of these large hospital groups. So the networks are improving every, every year. And what people, it was an antiquated way of kind of thinking like, oh, I need in and out of network coverage because God forbid if I need to go out of network, I want to make sure I'm covered, which isn't a bad rationale, but you have to think about you have a totally separate, so that scenario where I'm describing my deductible that I have to satisfy, you have one for in-network and you have one for out-of-network. And your one for out-of-network is always going to be much larger. So let's just say I have a plan with a $2,000 in-network 
deductible. If I have a PPO out of network coverage, you can almost guarantee that my deductible is going to be four or $5,000. So that means I'm going to have to come out of pocket $5,000 of out of network billable charges before I hit my deductible and start to see any benefit. So what employers are doing is that they would rather offer a super high level EPO with really strong in network benefits and then have the employees and kind of my job to educate and just make sure that you're going to doctors in network. Because when we take a look, you know, we had a we had a, um, a renewal coming up for a group last year, and they were faced with a really, really high renewal. It was around 28%. It was over $400,000. And they had two PPO plans. And we kind of said, you know, it doesn't really make sense that you have two plans that are so similar, both in and out of network coverage. And one of the things we're able to do with these providers, depending on group size, is that we can pull a report that shows your in-network utilization. So we pulled the report, and it ended up being that there were 98% in-network utilization. So that data is extremely telling, and is, we can then make a pretty confident decision that if everyone's using in-network providers, why are we paying for out-of-network cover when no one is using it? So those two plans, we ended up just changing one to an EPO plan. We actually made the in-network benefits stronger. And if any employee felt that that wasn't adequate enough and they did need the out-of-network coverage, then they bought the, the additional cost that was on them. So that's a way for employers to control costs, kind of kind of a defined contribution model. So their price is kind of set in stone regardless. And then they kind of use their position as the employer to be the vehicle to say, hey, not everyone is the same. We understand that. If this isn't good enough, you have the ability to buy up. So that's what I see a lot that's happening recently. And I think it's a yeah. positive trend. It's allowing doctor's offices to, again, be bought by these hospitals, bigger networks, and less at a network. Absolutely. As we kind of wrap up, Steph, what are some of the what's one thing that you want to make sure that the audience, you know, takes away from the conversation or one thing that we haven't talked about yet? I think don't be afraid to ask questions. I I remember when I first got my benefit packet, you know, you know, 11 years ago, I couldn't read it to save my life. I was out of college. I had no idea what was going on. And I was afraid to ask questions. But that's what our job is. You know, we really try and be proactive with that, with just messaging throughout the year. We make sure during open enrollment, our clients have enough time. We make sure they have a really detailed benefit guide with summaries. And then whether, you know, we're doing Zoom meetings or in-person meetings, I always try and make sure to stay for another hour just to see if anyone wants to come in and ask questions, because it really is a personal decision. And a lot of people sometimes feel embarrassed to ask questions. If it's in either a group setting or just in general, they feel they may not be able to go to their employer. So just to kind of put all the barriers down and just understand that we're all in this together, we want to help you make the best decision for you and your family. And if you don't know what a deductible is or a copay or how it works, it's okay to ask. Majority of people don't. That's our job to make sure that you're educated. And we at Opus, it's not just around renewal time that we want to help out. You know, and that's kind of one of the reasons why I made the switch to kind of work with my clients throughout the year. I love seeing, you know, starting a small business with 10 employees and then fast forward three or four years later, they're at 50. And being part of that process is super special. And it's a process that isn't just during open enrollment. It's throughout the entire year. It's not only just for the employees. It's also for their spouses, their dependents. You know, everyone's not experts on this, but that's where we come in and we want to make sure that we're the first call when you have questions. At the end of the day, going to a carrier direct is going to be tough. Coming to us should be an easy conversation, and that's what we try and, and make happen. 
Absolutely. So if a, if a client or a person or a company, you know, wants to have you help them review their existing benefit package, what's the best way for them to contact you? You know, go to the Opus Private Client website, reach out. We have all our information there via email. Um, you know, I'll be shooting this out to a bunch of people with my information. You know, they can reach out to you. A- anyway, it doesn't really matter. As long as you get in touch, it could be after your renewal. It can be before. It really doesn't matter. As long as we just have a conversation and as long as you or anyone that has a conversation with us walks away with a little more knowledge or feeling a little more comfortable, that's a win for us. Even if we don't get the business and we can just say, hey, took a look, what you're doing, I think you're doing great. I think you know the, the other broker is doing a wonderful job. At the end of the day, you're in a good spot now. I would love the opportunity next year upon renewal if you wanna give us a look, but I think you're in a really good spot. And that's what it comes down to. Awesome, and can you just provide the audience with your, your email address? Yeah, so it's going to be S Carpentieri, S C A R P E N T I E R I at opus P C dot com. And the best number to reach me is at 914 798 1059. Awesome. Steph, I really appreciate it, man. Thanks again for the conversation. I think this is going to be super valuable for our audience that has these very, very common questions. So thanks for joining us. I appreciate it. No problem. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it, Yvonne. Thanks so much. Absolutely. Absolutely. And to you, the listening audience, we really appreciate you tuning in. Uh, Please click subscribe below to be aware of any new podcasts coming up uh, and also to see our entire lineup of past podcasts as well. Thanks so much. Be well. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Style Podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice. Therefore, the information should be relied upon only when coordinated with individual professional advice. Neither Guardian nor its subsidiaries issue flexible spending accounts or health savings accounts. Yvonne Watanabe is a registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PAS. Securities products and advisory services offered through PAS member FINRA SIPC. Financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. PAS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Opus Private Client LLC is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. Opus Private Client LLC is not registered in any state or with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission as a registered investment advisor. Yvonne's California Insurance License Number 0H44206. Compliance Approval 2021-124446 expires July of 2023.